You're listening to Irish Radio Canada at home and abroad, and I'm in the Corlick building in Toronto, which is uh, just at Billy Bishop Airport, and I have Will Pete with me here at the uh, Canada Ireland Foundation, or is it Ireland Canada Foundation? <laughs> Hello, also great to see you as always, uh, but uh, yes, it's the Canada Ireland Foundation, as we are Canada first and Ireland second. And we're, as, uh, we're in the Corlick building, which is in the state of construction or reconstruction, um, it's down to bare bones in many places and a lot of work going on and this is the future home of the Canada Ireland Foundation. Uh, correct, yes, yeah, no, it's definitely uh, tear it down to build it back up again. Uh, the building itself, uh, it is two wings, one which was built in 1945 and another one was built in 1956. Uh, so some of the elements had asbestos in it, there was lead piping, uh, there was knob and tube wiring, and uh, the, the 1956 wing was really an annex that was added on, so it had no foundations. So it, it's, it's a beautiful building, it's a heritage building on the waterfront, it looks fantastic. We've cleaned the brickwork uh, up, uh, Trinity Custom Masonry did a phenomenal job uh, on that uh, as you would have seen on the outside um, but yes it was, it was in a pretty bad state uh, architecturally when we took it over so we spent the last few years uh, doing a lot of stuff you actually can't see which is removal of all of those hazardous material as well as we dug down to the bedrock and we installed helical piles all the way up and in the east wing we then installed an entirely new steel superstructure we removed the roof, we put on a new roof so even though it has the kind of skin of an old building it is as uh, Robert Archer jokes, uh, the old axe with the new head and the new handle. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, I've only changed the handle three times and the head twice. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I just say, it's on the water. And one of the beautiful things of it is I, I was able to get the uh, tram uh, from down near front, uh, Young Street and take it over to Spadina. I should have probably stayed on to Bathurst and then I could have walked down. So it's actually very accessible on public transport to be able to come down here. Yeah, well, as, as you pointed out, we are right beside Billy Bishop Island Airport. In fact, I think we're probably closer to the runway of Billy Bishop than Terminal 1 is in Dublin to the runway back there. Uh, so we're, we're right beside it, but that means we're, we're at a transport hub. So there are two separate uh, TTC streetcar lines that come down to us. Uh, we're right beside a, a, one of the larger taxi corrals in the city that uh, there's always that available. There is a pickup for all of the, the apps like Uber and Lyft are just beside us here, and then uh, we're well serviced by uh, by many of the major uh, arteries into the city. So it is a downtown location. So I think parking will always be a bit of an issue. But if you're willing to jump on your bike or get on the TTC, it's a very accessible location. And I think when you point that out, one of the challenges an awful lot of places would have is access to public transport, and particularly for what might be a more senior community who would don't want to drive and are often intimidated by ultimately being able to avail of a facility like this that on the streetcar, on the taxi route, the Uber route and everything else is going to make it that much more accessible to the Irish community. Yeah, absolutely. And then for anyone who's not interested in taking either a car or transport, we're on the Martin Goodman Trail. It's 60 kilometres of waterfront, accessible cycling and walkways. So uh, getting here, as we're now seeing with uh, global warming the majority of the year, having mild weather, uh, getting to the Corlick will be very easy and in many ways very pleasant if you want to cycle down the lakefront. So well, we just did a walkthrough and thank you very much for doing that and uh, when we came in the first thing you showed me was what's going to be the future performance space the space stage area 
and uh, the auditorium there you're looking at uh, various capacity depending on standing seating or cocktail table style. Yes, yes, uh, always a fan of a cocktail reception myself. Uh, but yeah, we are as an organisation uh, multi-purpose, multi-programming. Uh, we do history and heritage events, so lectures, exhibitions, uh, movie screenings like documentaries, but we also do theatre and do a lot of music as, as we were also talking about, uh, uh, something you, you're well connected in with yourself, Austin. So depending on those perambulations, the, uh, all of the rooms really in the building are very multi-use and multi-dimensional in that sense. And we, we spent about two years uh, speaking with artists, speaking with producers about, well, what do you need? Uh, from day one, we always kind of had this uh, cascading idea of the building where we wanted a large audience to come to our building, both Irish and Canadian, to come because of the programming. In order to do that, you need great artists to come to the building. In order for great artists to come to the building, you need great facilities. Mm -hmm. And so we work backwards from there. And so every room is designed with that in mind. Well, what can this be used on a Tuesday? What can be used on a, on, a, on a Thursday? What can be used on a Friday? And how do we allow for that? And we kind of actually took, uh, you know, much grander scale. But what they do down in Scotia Arena, where that can be a hockey game on a Thursday night, a basketball game on a Friday night, and Aria Grande on a, on a Saturday night. So how they turn that around so quickly, we thought, you know, you use the same footprint, but you make it malleable, you make it multi-purpose. And the room downstairs is very keen for that. Everything is able to be moved around. We can have theater in there. We can have a contemporary art piece. Uh, there's lots of natural light, but that can also be blacked out. Uh, we have three separate uh, rigging systems that can be lowered and can be changed. The soundscapes can be changed, so it's all customizable. And of course, as technology is romping forward, the ability to do that digitally is getting easier and smaller as well. So it's a very malleable, very technologically advanced multi-purpose space. And well, what I'm hearing very strongly is, is a contemporary approach to keeping the diaspora um, connected. But as part of that contemporary approach, it's deeply rooted in a historic approach. Yeah, absolutely. You, you couldn't be more uh, more correct. Uh, you know, the, the, the story of the Irish in Canada is over 600 years old. We have been part of the settler narrative of this since Europeans really started coming to Canada, with fishers plying their trade off of the coast of Newfoundland, all the way up to today where we're seeing a new epoch of Irish migrants coming, and I think there's 10,400 visas uh, eligible uh, for Irish people coming. And, and certainly since COVID, you can anecdotally, you can hear the accents coming left, right and centre again, which is great to see. So we want to share those stories. Uh, you know, the Irish we congregate very well. And so yes, on one level, it's going to be about high art, high concept, but it's also about gathering people together, having fireside chats, bringing traditional music in. Uh, you mentioned the older generation. We would love if like the Emerald Society was able to come down here. They're based way over the east side. They have a great venue there, but we're a bit more centre to the city so that would allow people from the west end to come in. And so being able to host coffee mornings, tea afternoons, all of that here. So yes, while, while you plough forward and, and make sure you have a very advanced building, what you ultimately want is what we've always done very well, which is gather together, have a chat, have a song, have a, uh, have a discussion, and enjoy each other's company. In the walk around through here as well, yeah, you, there was a boardroom and there's other multi-purpose space, as you mentioned. And there was one room you identified which would be for children. Uh, so obviously there is that recognition that not everybody comes here childless, or if they come childless, they may not stay childless. <laughs> yeah, that's true, that is true, <laughs> thankfully. Uh, 
but yeah, so well, there a couple of things within that. We, we actually were very surprised when we looked it up. And, and I do apologize if, if there are elements that we have missed. But as far as we can tell, there are very few Irish organizations that actively program for children and, and engage children regularly. Uh, I will you know, comment that Sean Ruddy does a fantastic job with the St. Patrick's Day Parade. Right. As far as I'm aware, that's one of the main and only kids-focused events that really kind of leans into helping that. And so as you said, A, people come with kids, but then also we, we've talked to lots of our supporters who have been here, say, 10, 15 years. They're now having kids, and they're kind of tweaking that. They moved here, and because of modern technology, they've always felt connected back to Ireland. They're watching Irish TV. They're keeping up with the guy. They're keeping up with the rugby that's going on at the moment. But they're panicking because they're raising their kids, and they're now realizing their kids are Canadian. Yes. They have Canadian accents. They're used to that. And so they're desperate for a way for their children to be able to connect with Irish identity. And so we we want to create a lifelong engagement. You know, it's good for the organization. It's good for the building. It's good for the Irish community. So, you know, at a younger level, what kind of play activities can we engage in where you learn a little bit of the Irish language, you learn about a history, and you do that in a fun and engaging way. Then as you get a little bit older, it's more about learning deeper history, actually getting engaged in more formal education. As you get a bit older and you start to enter the jobs market, it's about networking, it's about following your peers, how can we facilitate that? And then as you get a bit older and you get interested back into arts and culture, you start coming to the theatre and all of that again. So really we want to create a, a space and an organisation that is cradle to grave for the Irish here and that helps perpetuate that sense of Irish identity, which has always, always managed to survive so well in Canada, but I think particularly in Toronto because of its large British narrative has somewhat been under the radar. Uh, we have, uh, again, to use a Robertism, the DCPs, the Deep Cover Paddies, uh, a lot of Irish Canadians who are very well of their own, aware of their own Irish identity, but don't necessarily articulate it as well as, say, people in the United mm-hmm. States would. And we feel that a space like this, which allows people to engage in a prideful way, it will help kind of change that narrative. And so, yeah, so we, we, were, we identified that kids are very, are obviously, they are our future, and if we're going to do anything as an organization, uh, we want to kind of indoctrinate them while they're young type thing. And, and I, I can buy into it because I had the thrill of having my two grandkids at the Irish English Rugby game in the Aviva Stadium uh, in August and it was their first introduction to Ireland and their first introduction to rugby. Wow, okay, yes. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, and they're living out um, west of Toronto here. And at some stage, like that curiosity and that enthusiasm that they got at the Aviva Stadium, that there is somewhere at some point that this, that when the, the itch gets there, they know where to come to have it scratched. Yeah, no, I think you put that very well. The itch has always been there, Austin. People have always been interested and they have kind of at a local level gathered together voluntarily and, and helped perpetuate that. Uh, but it's, it's always been very local and so some areas do it very well, some areas don't. So we're just trying to create that space for everyone to come. And of course, you know, we at the foundation, we do a lot of programming, but we're not going to do all the programming. So we're very keen to work with anyone who wants to come in to talk to them, see how we can make it work and have the Corlick be very much a blank canvas for everyone to use. And, and not just the Irish as well. Uh, I think I've spoken about this to you before. Uh, the name the Corlick does have an ancient Celtic uh, connection. Uh, it is an old, uh, an old pre-Christian uh, uh, stone head that's available to see in the National Gallery back in Ireland, National Museum of Ireland, uh, that represents the god Lug, who Lunasa uh, Festival is named after, uh, and it comes from the town of Corlick. So it does 
have a, a, a strong Irish connection, but we didn't want the name Ireland or Irish on the building because right. this is the most uh, the world's most multicultural city, and we wanted everyone to be feeling welcome and engaged by, by the space. Uh, again, during our discussions, I pointed out that the city is spending 25 million improving the Bathurst Key area and key neighbourhood in general. So there will be a whole new uh, public event space just north and east of us here. South of us will be what they're referring to as a hardscape beach, so a lovely lounging area with a lot of shrubbery that's right on the waterfront, and then there'll be an area of repose between uh, Ireland Park and the building as well. So the whole space will be an interactive space for the whole city to enjoy, which the Irish will have a privileged position because it will be the building that we will occupy. But we do want to make sure that everyone in both the Irish community and in multi multifaceted communities can come down, engage, enjoy the space, and uh, uh, you know begin a multicultural and multi-generational discussion. And while you mentioned the name not having Ireland in it or Irish in it, there's no need when it's on Aaron. Aaron Key, yes. And Ireland Park is on the other side of it. So, like, I guess there's enough uh, names to identify without having to put it on the building as well. Yeah, that's true. And I, I always think about, the, you know, the Abbey Theatre doesn't need to be known as Ireland's National Theatre to be Ireland's no. National Theatre. Uh, and so, you know, what we do in the Corlick will be what defines it, not what we name it. Uh, but it just, it allows other people to feel a bit more engaged with, you know, I would never think of programming in the Japanese Cultural Centre. Not that it's not a fine space. It just would seem odd to me. Mm-hmm. Yet I'll go to Innes Hall in the University of Toronto, and that's just a branding issue. So, yeah, we wanted to make sure that the space uh, was a, a canvas for everyone to use, but I do think we've, we've come to a nice, well, actually a, a kind of a tripartite middle ground, because A, uh, Canadians can say the name the Corlick, which is important. B, it has a very deep connection. It is actually one of the hundred objects, you know, this uh, thing that uh, RT did uh, with the National Gallery of Ireland, National Museum, I keep saying gallery, apologies, the National Museum of Ireland, um, so it is one of the hundred objects that define Ireland, um, and so there's that great connection. But yes, it, it didn't kind of heavily brand the building as an Irish centre. This is an arts and cultural centre for the whole city to enjoy. But we in Canada Ireland Foundation will do Irish programming year-round in it. The building also, and the focus, I think, yeah, you mentioned, is a reflection of the importance that the Irish government places on Canada. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we've been we've been incredibly honoured to have continuous support from the government of Ireland. They invested heavily in Ireland Park, and then they continued that investment with Crescent Park, and now they're continuing that investment in the Corlick Building. We they've donated so far about eight hundred thousand dollars to the building, and they're, every time any kind of minister comes into town, they always ensure we're one of the stops. So yeah, they really see it as a centre of excellence uh, for the Irish uh, artists and Irish historians to be able to come over and use. And then separately, as we were talking earlier, uh, one of the great gifts that the board have given me is I spend a lot of time going back to Ireland and creating these partnerships. Uh, you know, there is a bit of a build it and they will come model. Uh, when I first started, I, actually to go back and further, I always use the example of direct flights between Canada and Ireland, and you'll be well, well aware of this also. For 10 years, there was a steadfast um, uh, effort to try and get direct flights. Eventually, I think there was a bit of a toe in the water where there was a fight between St. John's and Dublin that WestJet did. And then eventually Air Canada were kind of bullied into doing it uh, between Toronto and, and Dublin. And just before the pandemic, there was actually five flights a day, and we're now back up to four flights a day, direct between Toronto and Dublin. Uh, flights have opened up again between Montreal and Dublin and between Vancouver and Dublin. So there is a, a, a sense of the Irish don't understand and don't know Canada, which mm-hmm. is such a great pity. Uh, and I'm sure many of your listeners are, are kind of blue in the teeth uh, trying to convince their Irish brethren that Canada is a fantastic 
fantastic uh, G7 country, big economy, all of those things. We, we don't need to go into that too heavily. But um, when we started with the arts, we, we hit the same problem. The amount of artists that can come within 100 kilometers of the Canadian border and yet never thought of going uh, past that line. Uh, first and foremost, they thought that logistically it was as difficult as it is to get into the United States, which is quite frankly terrifyingly difficult to get into. Uh, the OVs are thousands of dollars. You need lawyers. It takes years. Uh, to come to Canada, uh, you need a letter of introduction explaining what you're doing and that you will not be here more than six months and, and you will be welcomed with open arms. And quite frankly, we've, had, we've given that letter to about two dozen artists, I think only twice, that they've been actually kind of questioned on it most of the time. They, they take the artist's uh, uh, word on it. So, you know, Canadian immigration are much friendlier, much easier to deal with, and uh, every artist remarks on that. Uh, they love coming here. And so we're now going back to Ireland and now being approached by artists and being approached by producers who are really see it as a key stop along their North American journey. And that's such a sea change over the last five years. And thankfully, we're seeing from our audience that people are responding. So okay. our numbers are going up. Our amount, if you look at the back-end analytics, our, I think our, um, our database has gone up by 40% in the last 18 months. Our numbers in events has gone up. We would easily be able to fill 150 people without uh, blinking. We just had our Lahanen where we had uh, just over 300 people at that. Uh, we had 1,300 people go to um, uh, between the two events we had around Bound for Canada uh, back in March. And then we would do regular events where we have 60, 70 people two or three nights in a row for, for theatre pieces. So we're seeing the community respond. We're seeing artists respond. And as we kind of started with this conversation, the government of Ireland are responding to that as well. And they're being proactive and helping. As is always a question, I know we checked before we uh, came on air here, um, your hope for timeline? Uh, yes, so it is a little bit of long as a piece of string. Uh, again, uh, the building has gotten more expensive than we thought, uh, but we're, we're doing well with our with our fundraising for that. So at the moment, uh, we've ordered, and also just to say that some of the material takes a lot longer than we thought. It was 38 weeks for the heritage windows. So uh, as you and I sit here, Austin, we see plywood over a lot of the windows or cellophane uh, wrap, that's because we took the windows out with the anticipation of it taking two months and it actually took nearly seven months for those windows to come in. Uh, they have been ordered and will be here just towards the end of the year. Uh, so yeah, having said all of that, uh, we are anticipating to get the building handed over to us towards the back end of next year. Uh, we of course want to do a little bit of a, of a soft opening where we run everything kind of without going too big or too bold, make sure you know all the toilets flush, the, uh, the, the, the uh, elevator works, the gas burner doesn't explode, all of those little things that you want to make sure uh, go well, as well as obviously the, the lights and people's ingress and egress happens seamlessly. And then uh, probably March uh, 2025, so Irish Heritage Month in 2025, uh, we will we will launch that, which is also I think the 200th anniversary of the birth of Thomas Arthur McGee. So a good year to to uh, kind of launch those things. Indeed, well. indeed, from a historic birth to to run stuff on that. Uh, where, if anybody does want to get in touch, if anybody wants to make a donation, all those good things? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as I said, the, the campaign is still ongoing, so I always have to chat to anyone who wants to uh, work with us on that. But we do have CanadaIrelandFoundation.com. Uh, I will say, please do join our database. We try not to inundate you with information, but we have, as we've talked about, we have music, we have theatre, we have comedy, we have history. So if you're interested in any of them, it's a good one-stop shop. And then you will find all of our information. You can ring our office. Uh, 
Uh, we're also admin at CanadaIreland.com. Um, My email is William at CanadaIreland.com. Always happy to have a chat and uh, love more people to get on our database so we can share the incredible work that has been done by amazing historians, artists, volunteers all around Toronto, all around Canada. We try to be the filter place for that and uh, keep, keep you informed about what's going on. So, uh, to wrap up, what we would say is if you're coming to Toronto, at the moment there are definitely two stops you need to make, which is the Ireland Park and Grasset. In the future, you'll be able to come and base yourself close here, grab a bite to eat, plan your journey, take in the park, do all your um, head over even to Corktown and other places, but base yourself here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, again, Corktown is just off the Mark and Whitman Trail, so you can meander downtown right on the waterfront uh, and then pop up to uh, historic Corktown and see uh, where the Irish settled in the 1840s, a beautiful part of the east end of the city, and there are many uh, major sights to see along the way uh, for that. But yes, uh, come to the Corlick, have a cup of coffee, have a nice sandwich, look out on the lovely views of Lake Ontario, and enjoy a bit of Irish hospitality. Well, Pete, it's been a real pleasure. Reconnecting. Thanks a million. Thank you. Awesome.